What would your life look like if you felt confident in your body and in your health habits? We believe that confidence is possible for all people. This is the Free Method Podcast, and I'm your host, Dylan Murphy, registered dietitian and owner of Free Method Nutrition. We are dedicated to empowering women to make peace with food, heal their relationship with their body, and create sustainable health habits. Come hang with us each week as we have conversations that will inspire you to live a life of freedom. Let's dive into today's show. As some of y'all may know, I have been supplementing some of Calder's feedings with Bobby over the past four months, and we have been loving it. One of the main reasons why we chose Bobby when we knew we were going to add formula to Calder's feeding is because of their high quality ingredients and simple recipe. As the only mom-led and founded infant formula company in the U.S. with an organic European-style recipe that meets all FDA standards, standards, they continue to set the bar as the leading clean infant formula. And they recently have received the Clean Label Project Purity Award and pesticide-free certification. This is huge. And really what this means, the Clean Label Project, it evaluates products for substances that would never be found on the product label. So things like heavy metals, pesticide residues, and plasticizers. And The fact that Bobby received this award gives me the confidence as a parent and the peace of mind knowing that what Calder is getting and ultimately what's going into his body contains all the ingredients that his body needs and nothing that it doesn't. So if you're in need of a high quality formula to feed your baby, Bobby definitely has my stamp of approval. Head to freemethodnutrition.com slash Bobby, B-O-B-B-I-E to order yours today and use promo code Dylan Murphy 10 so you can get 10% off. Welcome back to another episode of Food Freedom Podcast. Today I'm joined by Katie, and then I realized I didn't ask you how to pronounce your last name, and I feel like I'm going to pronounce it wrong. Is it? No, it's okay. Like, it's hey, cake, like cake for me. Like cake with an okay. H. So like it should sound, but for some reason, I'm yeah. like, I don't know. I feel like I'm going to say it wrong. <laughs> Katie, hey. Oh, you're right. <laughs> um, and Katie is a registered dietitian and fitness professional who is passionate about helping women stop dieting and start living. And one thing that I really love about Katie and her practice is just how she does mesh together eating and and nutrition and doing so from a non-diet approach, but also the fitness aspect of things, which I think is so helpful for anyone who's journeying through food freedom and walking away from diets. Um, So Katie, welcome to the show. Thanks Dylan for having me. I'm so excited to be here. I feel like, I feel like I already know you. Yeah just internet friends. So it's so good to connect and actually talk face to face. Yes. And I, I was thinking this yesterday. I feel like we've done like very similar things in our business. Like I saw yesterday, you posted in the guide culture Facebook group and I was like, of course, like she's there too. I've done that. Yes. (laughs) Great, great minds think alike. (laughs) Yes. Yes. I love it. Um, well, if you want to take a minute or however long you want to just let our listeners know a little more about you, kind of who you serve, that sort of thing. Yeah. So like you mentioned, I am a registered dietitian and a fitness professional with a virtual private practice based out of Indianapolis, Indiana. So, you know, my journey really started in the fitness side of things, you know, in college, I always knew that I wanted to be in fitness. So I started with group exercise, became a personal trainer, 
you know, led kind of those different teams. And I really grew up in this fitness industry culture and mindset of that. Well, in order to really serve your clients, you had to get them air quotes results, right? And as you and I know, in diet culture, those results are often equating to weight loss. And so Mm. right from the get-go, when I was deciding what I wanted to study, I thought, okay, well, if I'm going to do fitness and be a really great personal trainer, well, then I need to understand this nutrition side in order to help people get air quotes results. And, you know, fast forward over the years, I spent time, you know, traveling the country, training fitness professionals to teach different formats in their studios and really got caught up in this culture of my body size has to equal my worth. And in order to be, you know, acknowledged or uh, taken seriously in this industry, I have to have a certain look. And that's kind of really what catapulted my intuitive eating journey was I myself hit that, you know, rock bottom, which I think a lot of dietitians and just women listening mm-hmm. to this podcast can probably relate to of, you know, I was burnt out from a physical standpoint, but also mentally and emotionally realizing that the habits, the, but also the talk in my head was mm-hmm. not sustainable. So uh, I discovered intuitive eating. And at the same time, I actually was working as a weight loss dietitian in a bariatric mm-hmm. center, which it's just crazy looking back to where I am now because I can't even imagine, you know, that type of setting or or how my story would have played out. So Mm. that's kind of where I evolved, you know, spent some time in the clinical setting, also working in metabolics with kids and adults who have uh, inborn errors of metabolism. Mm. But ultimately I think as many of us clinicians, we realize there's really a gap here that we Mm. see in the clinical setting of, we need more time than 15 minutes to connect with the, with the client. You know, we really need longer time. We need a different approach in order to really help people get to the root of their issues uh, with food, but then also my case with exercise as well. Yeah. Uh, That's, I love, love hearing all of that. And I've heard that too, from other fitness professionals when they really journey into that, like non-diet intuitive eating space, that pressure around like, okay, well, I feel like I have to look the part if I'm, you know, a personal trainer and a group fitness instructor and the the clientele that I'm working with is expecting me to give them this like, you know, straightforward, eat this, don't eat that plan. Um, I'm curious, like with people you've worked with in the fitness setting and maybe just clients in general, whether it's the fitness setting or nutrition setting, do you feel like you've gotten pushback around like, okay, well, just tell me what to eat or like, how many calories or count my macros for me. Like, what does that look like? Oh my gosh. A hundred percent. And, you know, I talked about my transition a little bit. I had this idea of what, you know, a successful practice would look like. Right. And so I started actually seeing people in a small gym here in Indianapolis. And I had a lot of conversations with my mentor about this, because as you know, it's very hard to explain intuitive eating. And for anybody listening, maybe you're just starting your intuitive eating journey you may not even have the words to describe the work that you're doing. And so as I was learning about, you know, this new approach, I had a really hard time articulating it to clients. And so in that setting, I would have a lot of women and and men as well come into, you know, at the time it was a daycare, like my Uh office was like a kid's 
a kid's center, right? Oh, that's and awesome. come in and say, yeah, just tell me, you know, what to eat. I just need this and that. And, mm-hmm. and I would try to do it in a way that wasn't tangible, but then they'd come back not seeing their quotes results or yeah. a structure that they were looking for. And so I, I had a lot of people leave in tears, to be honest, mm. because we would then have these raw conversations of what is it that you're really looking for? And people weren't ready for that. And I wasn't, doing the best job at articulating that. So it's definitely evolved. Um, and what I've learned is that we really have to meet people where they're at. Right. Mm-hmm. And yeah. people often don't know what intuitive eating is. They may have heard it, but they really don't understand. And so helping mm-hmm. to meet people where they at and really walk alongside them on that journey, um, help them, you know, yeah. get to the other side, if you will. Yeah. I love that you say that too. I actually was talking with my dietitian team the other day about this of it can be easy to expect like clients coming to us to just all of a sudden know like okay this is what intuitive eating is i want this like help me find it but i feel like a lot of times the people we see are more in that like in between where they're like okay i get that these diets don't work but this idea of like letting go of them and eating intuitively and like putting my like weight on the back burner feels scary um, yeah, so it's, it's like very living space. in the gray. Yeah, yeah, it's living in the gray. And a lot of the the women and men that I work with, they mm-hmm. are so black and white. Mm-hmm. And so they just think, you know, if I can be an expert in all these other areas of my life, if I can achieve, you know, this goal at work, if I can have this life or make this income, why can't I just figure out this food piece? And to them, yeah. it's just like any other goal, like, just give me the mm-hmm. steps and I'll do it. But we know it's it's much more complicated than that. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So what? So for people listening and just who maybe hear the phrase like a non diet approach to fitness, what what would that look like? What is what does exercise fitness look like if we're approaching it from that kind of just intuitive? I would even talk about it like intuitive living or like intuitive exercise. Um, what would a, an approach like that look like? You know, I almost describe it, it's very similar to everybody has their own unique experience and, and journey with food when it comes to mm-hmm. intuitive eating. And the same can happen with fitness. So for somebody just starting out, you know, let's say we have a client who comes to us that is feels more compulsive and they're exercising, right? They look at food and exercise and transactional. They're very rigid and, and structured, just as they might have been with calorie counting or using apps or counting macros. And as we kind of go through that intuitive eating journey, we do that same, take a lot of the same uh, mindset shifts that we do with food and apply that to to fitness. So, you know, learning how can we be more flexible? And maybe that means for somebody starting out, maybe they're used to exercising seven days a week or 60 minutes a day. And maybe a stepping stone is peeling back to six days a week or making one of those days a rest day, you know, but for somebody else, it might look like, getting them to the point where they can wake up and say, you know, I plan to go to uh, this boot camp today, but my mm-hmm. body is just really hurts and I'm tired. Mm-hmm. I didn't sleep well. I still want to move my body, but I think I'm going to go do yoga instead. Yeah. Right. So get, so have, giving somebody that freedom and that flexibility mm-hmm. to really honor their body and what feels good, you know, and then I would almost say a next level to that, which is, where I found myself kind of stuck in that journey of how can I still have fitness goals, mm-hmm. but not get obsessive about them? Mm. 
Yeah. I love, I love that. And, and what would that look like? Cause I think that can be a hard place for people of, you know, I know a lot of the conversations I have with clients, like they are used to being very goal oriented with their fitness. Like I want to, and, but I think maybe sometimes the goal's in the wrong place. Like, so what would it look like to want to have goals when it comes to fitness, but maybe shifting that motivation. So it's coming from the right place. You know, that motivation, I think is a a key point of Mm -hmm. somebody really needs to ask themselves the why, Mm -hmm. why am I doing this? You know, when you wake up and let's say you have a goal to, we'll we'll go really general here. You have a goal that you want to get stronger, right? And so you, you have a goal of lifting weights, let's say three times per week, right? Because research shows us that if we can strength train and resistance train three to four times per week, that can really help us see, you know, physical gains, right? Yeah. But that, but it's being able to wake up and say, you know, yes, I have this goal. It's really important to me, but I also don't feel good. What's my why behind it? Am I doing mm-hmm. it because I know that it's going to make me feel better and get me closer towards my goal? Or is it still rooted in changing my body? Is it still yeah. rooted in shrinking my body or really challenging somebody to question their why behind it. You know, another great example, I see this all the time, especially on Instagram is a lot of people training for marathons or Mm -hmm. races. Right. And, you know, marathon is kind of like a next level. It requires a lot of training. Right. And part of it is you, you do have to commit to X number of days, you know, X number of Mm -hmm. mileage to build up your endurance to physically make it through that race. But, you know, this happened early on in my journey when I was hitting that burnout was I started training for a marathon and I realized I was going to teach fitness classes, but then also running the marathon. Right. And it's like, Mm -hmm. I didn't really need to do that training, but there was this, um, obsessive compulsive. Yeah. I, I have to cross the box. I have to mm-hmm. check off the box in my schedule, right? And some people have that with eating. I have to yeah. fulfill these macros, you know, whatever it may be. And so again, really going back to why am I doing this marathon? Is it because mm-hmm. I want to accomplish this goal? Or is it really because it's kind of an excuse yeah. for me to keep up with this this rigid exercise and it doesn't, you know, look as bad if that makes Mm, sense. Yeah. Like maybe people question it if I'm, you know, go run 15 miles, but I'm, I'm training for a marathon. That's why not like I'm dissatisfied with my body and I hope that's going to make me lose weight. (laughs) Right. And that's Mm. much more acceptable. It's much more acceptable to our peers. It's much more, you know, I think a lot of women who struggle with almost these orthorexic tendencies, Mm -hmm they wear a badge of honor and they get very mm. much praised for their dedication and yeah. their willpower and the grit that they have to do all these, you know, high intensity um, type things, but there really is a, a fine balance. Yeah, I totally agree. And I think having the awareness, like your own self-awareness to know is my motivation in the right place. Like if I do want to get stronger and try more weight training, lift heavier weights, nothing wrong with that, but let me make sure that my motivation stays in the right place. Cause I think it can be really easy to maybe you start out even with like the marathon training, maybe you start out from a a healthy mindset of like, I'm doing this because it sounds fun. Maybe I'm doing it with a friend or we're doing it in a fun city, but then you start to notice like, okay, I think my motivation is shifting in a negative direction. Like, I think this is getting unhealthy 
that's the time where we're maybe thinking through like, is this training the right thing for me? Or like, is this type of exercise right for me? Or do I need to shift to something else? Do I need to do something more low intensity? Yeah. Do I need to shift to something else or do I need to address this? Right. Yeah. It's not to say that you totally have to throw the goal out the window, but leaning into that discomfort or Mm. that, huh, this doesn't feel right. Or I'm I'm curious, get curious about that. Right. And that's where working with somebody like you or myself to, to really dig deeper into that and to Mm. understand the why behind it. I want to give another example because I think you'll relate to this, you know, in your postpartum journey, one of my good friends who's also a fitness professional and, you know, came from that same world that I did of of presenting and being on stage and things like that. And she just had a baby, um, I think about about around the same time as you did. Yeah. And she sent me a Vox. You guys use Voxer at all? Yes. Oh, I love Voxer. (laughs) It's the best. But she sent me a Vox and was like, Katie, I, you know, I know I've really come so far with not stepping on the scale and, you know, being very accepting of weight gain and my body changing during, during pregnancy, but they ended up having to get a scale to weigh the baby because of feedings and blah, blah, blah. Anyways. So yeah. she found herself just pulling it out and stepping mm-hmm. on the scale. And she's like, Katie, I just caught myself. Like I realized that the lower was num- the number was lower than it's ever been, but even mm-hmm. before, before pregnancy. And I found that there's a part of me that was excited about that mm, number. And yeah. she's like, what do I do? What do I do with this? Because I yeah. know from a physiological standpoint, there's so many reasons why that number is probably lower. I probably lost mm-hmm. a lot of muscle mass. Mm-hmm. I'm, you know, burning a crazy amount of energy through breastfeeding. Yeah. It still feels pulled to that. And so we had a conversation and I said, you know, you're more than welcome to reach out to me, even just for accountability. I think being able yeah. to even simply acknowledge those mm-hmm like feelings are really important and a huge step on somebody's, you know, non-diet journey. Yeah. And I love that example because I think in that example, I hear someone reaching out when they're kind of at that beginning of like, this might be getting to an unhealthy place instead of feeling like you have to wait until it's like, okay, now I'm suddenly weighing myself 10 times a day and altering my food. Like, I love that she felt safe enough to reach out early on, because then it's like, okay, let's talk through this now before it becomes anything more, you know, intense or obsessive. Um, and yeah, I think I talked about this yesterday on my Instagram story. I was going to say, that's what made me think of it because you were just talking about it. Yeah. And I mean, it's, it's wild. I think that's been a huge thing I've learned in this postpartum journey is like the pressure. I mean, I feel like all times of life, there's always this pressure around like exercise and how our body looks and how can we change it? And then thinking about postpartum, all your body's just gone through and okay, now I need to get back to exercise six weeks after giving birth. And it's like, okay, no, that's impossible. And you know, so much of your body has changed. You haven't really used your core in nine months because you've been growing the baby. Um, And I think that for me has put a lot of perspective around like, okay, this is a time really more than ever where someone's mindset around exercise can really be like put into question of like, okay, can I slow things down, not exercise, or maybe do things differently than I enjoy because that's what my body needs right now. Yeah. Doing things differently than I typically enjoy. And you bring up a good point too. I I think about, you know, we get so stuck in this comparison trap with Mm -hmm. other bodies, but I think as we shift through different seasons of life where our lifestyle changes, our needs Mm -hmm. change, our priorities change, 
yeah. we find ourselves comparing ourselves to our, our previous, you know, yeah. I hate to even say previous body, but mm-hmm. previous abilities or, and it's, it is, it's really challenging to acknowledge where we are in this moment and mm-hmm. recognizing what does my body need? What feels yeah. good? Uh, what does it need today? That might look different than tomorrow. It might look different from yesterday and that's okay. Yeah. Yes. I love that you brought that up because I think it's easy I mean, even using myself as an example, it's easy to think like, oh, well, two years ago, I could do, you know, X amount of burpees, or I could do this specific exercise. And it's like, well, two years ago, I wasn't recovering from having a child. Like, I can't compare where I am now to where I was two years ago. And even, you know, taking pregnancy out of the picture, even two years, three years, thinking about where you were in high school versus where you are now, our body changes, our muscles change, like even just our time to dedicate to something like movement. Like maybe you're in a busy season of life where movement is going on a walk after work to, you know, take your dog out and and that's all you can do. And that's fine. I think knowing that how we move our body may adapt over time and there's no, you know, right or wrong way that you move your body. Yeah. So somebody can acknowledge, right? Like some of the rules that maybe they've held around food Mm-hmm. And take a lot of what they've learned with that and apply that to movement, right? Mm-hmm. Why am I doing this? What's my motivation? You know, and, and checking your priorities, like what, yeah. are, what are my priorities? How have they changed? And why am I still holding on to this goal? You know, I know for me personally as well, when I was training for that marathon and really putting a lot of pressure on my body from a physical standpoint, I, I really realized, wow, this is all coming from ego, like mm, this is all yeah. coming from ego. I want to be in these fitness videos and have the status, but why, why? Yeah. And, and when I really dug deep into it, it was, it was from ego mm. and because of these external pressures that I was really putting on myself, a lot of it influence yeah. from diet culture, but at the end of the day, wasn't really what I wanted. Mm. Yeah. That's such a good awareness too. And I, I feel like, gosh, with everything in life, but with exercise, like social media heightens things too, because you see, you know, a random influencer doing some crazy workout. And so you feel like, oh my gosh, I should be able to do that. Look at her. She can do that. Like I need to do this better. So we have all of these pressures we put on ourselves to meet these expectations that may not even be within our body's limits. Yeah. And the, the pressures too, they're so normalized, especially in the, mm-hmm. in the fitness industry. One thing that I really had to step out of it was, you know, supplements, shakes, all these different like dieting. It was, it was really a culture and it was so normalized Mm. that the fact of just, you know, like, for example, if we were at a conference and we all went out to dinner, like ordering pizza and a Mm. salad or ordering, you know, just what you wanted and felt good was just mind blowing to anybody to even think about. And and I'm so grateful that there's more, you know, non-diet body positive, weight neutral fitness professionals coming into the space, but yeah. it, it really is still a challenge that we fight daily. Yeah. Oh, I'm sure. And I mean, I'm sure just an assumption, just like we get as dietitians to think like, oh, well, if you like really prioritize your fitness, if you're a fitness professional, like all you probably eat is salads and protein shakes and, or maybe you have like one cheat day a week where then you eat, you know, 17 hamburgers and it's like that black and white thinking that we see with everything. Yeah. I don't know if you saw, there's this article recently, I don't know, somebody on social media posted it the other day, but saying how, you know, and 
smaller bodies are most glamorized for eating mm. like cheeseburgers and different types of bodies. Yeah. So you, like, just like you said, you see both sides of it that mm. it's, it's normalized to have almost like these um, compensatory eating behaviors yeah. and restriction is also normalized. Mm. So kind of this double standard as well. Yeah. Mm. So for someone listening who maybe is wanting to even just kind of like check their own relationship with exercise and see if, their motivation is in a good place or if it's not in a good place, like what could be some things they can think through, they can ask themselves, they can even like pay attention to during exercise to really see like, okay, what, where is my relationship with exercise? I think one really great place to start if somebody's struggling to identify like what's their why behind movement, right? For me, for many years, it was, I just want to be healthier. You know, oh, I don't care about the scale. I'm going to look more at my muscle mass. And I kind of kept tricking myself into health and kind of this wellness diet of that was my motivator. So for somebody, they might start by thinking, you know, what are the benefits of movement? What are there long-term yeah. benefits? You know, for me, my, I watched my grandmother pass from Alzheimer's mm-hmm. and dementia. Mm-hmm. And so brain health and cognitive, you yeah. know, capabilities are very important to me in terms of movement. Mm-hmm. But for somebody else, maybe you have heart disease in your family, you know, question why does it matter to you from a long-term perspective, but then you can also look at the short-term benefits, right? So maybe when you're going through a type of movement, asking yourself, how does this feel in my body? You know, where does this feel? Does this feel positive? Does it feel negative? Does it feel neutral? And that can help you to explore, you know, what actually feels good while you're doing it. So you can explore, you know, it was what you're doing. Is this something you want to continue to do? If not, maybe there's something else that might feel better. And the more that you can really pay attention to what your body needs, you can make those decisions that feel more in alignment with both your values, but also, you know, just like you explained your postpartum needs with what your yeah. physical needs are in, in that moment. Yeah, I think that's so good. And giving yourself space to change over time, like the way that you move your body. Because I know for me, like really up until post-college, pretty much all I did was run because in my mind I was like, Oh, well running, that's like the optimal exercise, the optimal key to health. And it's like, I don't know where I learned that probably just, you know, social media or whatever. And then I realized like, I don't really like running. Like, why do I do this? Mm -hmm. I don't really enjoy this. So let me find something that I do enjoy. So giving yourself that permission to like really sit back and evaluate, like, do I even enjoy the exercise that I'm doing, like, even if you get into this deep ingrained habit of like, okay, I'm going to this certain class every week, but do I like going? And I think that can be shocking for people to think like, oh, I'm, I can enjoy exercise. Like I thought I'm supposed to just hate it and, you know, check it off the list and move on to the next thing. Another, you, you reminded me of another, you know, thing that somebody can really keep in check is if, if you wear an Apple watch or an activity tracker, and if you find that movement is very much correlated to the number of calories burned, or you get Mm. really stuck on those numbers, challenge yourself to ditch the watch, ditch the apps Mm. and really focus on the feeling. Because if we're only Mm. focusing on the numbers, when it comes to movement, we really are missing out on so many of the other benefits that Mm -hmm. movement can give us, you know, from a mental, physical, emotional, all these other pieces, it expands, you know, our stress tolerance, all these things. And when we just focus on the numbers, we miss out on so much of that. So if you Mm. find yourself tied to the numbers, 
see if you can put that away for a minute and just, you know, while you're running or while you, what feels good, where does it feel good? I've actually talked to my therapist about this because I found myself, um, running and I realized Mm -hmm. I I get through this almost like this mental block where it was like, I don't want to run anymore. I just start walking and finding that balance of challenging myself, but giving myself grace. And I think a lot of people also get stuck in that, in the Mm -hmm. non-diet space is like, yes, I want to set these fitness goals, but I'm also trying to have compassion for myself. And and that can be challenging. And my therapist gave Mm -hmm. a great recommendation. She's like, while you're running, when you find yourself and you could apply this to anything, when Mm -hmm. you want to stop, ask yourself, what am I feeling in my body right now? Mm -hmm. How does this feel? Yeah. Just evaluate. And it was really helpful to just recognize and make some of those Mm -hmm. connections. I love that. Cause, and I, I think that's a really hard place for people to be sometimes where you're kind of in that again, like gray area of like enjoying a workout, kind of pushing yourself from a, a healthy perspective versus like, I would say almost more so like forcing yourself and like a negative yes. of like, sure. Every time you work out, you might not be just like thrilled, so excited about it. But I think there is a distinct difference between pushing yourself to grow from like a compassionate way versus like, I have to do this to check the box. I have to do this because I ate, you know, X, Y, Z yesterday. Like, and that could look different for every single person. So I think that's where that like, curiosity, like compassion for yourself comes in of knowing what that line looks like for you. Yeah. I think ultimately two people know, mm-hmm. would, would, do you agree? Like, do you think oh, yeah. like, I think yes. people deep down know, they yes. know when the motives are yes. not from the healthiest space. Yeah. Oh yeah. And cause it may be like what I mentioned with running for me personally, like it may be a certain type of exercise where, you know, like, okay, if I'm making myself go on a run, I know my motivation is not in the right place because I don't like running. Like I just don't enjoy it. But if I'm, mm-hmm. you know, going to do a Peloton workout and maybe there's something I'd rather be doing, but I know I enjoy it and like it, you know, relieves stress, that sort of thing. Yeah. I absolutely agree. I think people know where their motivations lie. It's just whether we like, listen to that kind of intuitive instinct or not yeah if, if, we, if we like yeah if yeah. we like the answer or not for yes. sure yes uh gosh i could talk about this topic forever i feel like it's such a needed topic to to kind of discover that like gray area of how exercise and movement is you know such a great thing but how we how we view it and and partake it in a healthy way mm. um so Katie, for people who want to follow you on Instagram, learn more about you, where can they find you? Yeah, I love to hang out on Instagram. Uh, my handle is K-T-H-A-K-E-K-T-H-A-K-E. Um, I also have a podcast, Fit Friends Happy Hour, where we yeah. talk a lot of these topics. I bring on a lot of uh, fitness experts as well, because awesome. I love hearing about the other people in the fitness space who are really making changes as well. Mm-hmm. So I think it's really exciting and, and hopeful for us yeah. and learning about how we can collaborate with fitness professionals, because as you know, it, it takes a village. Uh, <laughs> we need, we need to support our clients in, in all these different areas because they all are intertwined. Yeah, uh, I totally agree. So the way I love to end episodes is asking our guests what their favorite food memory is just as a way to kind of, you know, bring some joy back to food and, and take that away from diet culture. 
I love this question and people are probably going to laugh or uh-huh. just make giant question mark. A big thing in my family is jello. And that sounds so weird, oh but gosh. every year for my birthday, my mom uh-huh. makes jello cake. And a lot of people think uh-huh. jello cake, they think of like a mold, but yeah. it's, what is it? It's white cake and she pokes uh-huh. holes in it and pours like strawberry uh-huh. jello. Uh-huh. And then whipped cream frosting. It sounds really yeah. gross, but it is so good. It's the best thing ever. So that yes. is like my probably my number one food memory yes. for all birthdays. <laughs> oh my gosh. I love that. I love that. I can totally picture that type of cake. Um, yeah, I love that. My Every year for my birthday, I always get red velvet cake. That's my Ooh, favorite. That's another that's good so one. Good. Yes. Gosh. Uh, well, thank you so much for taking time to come on the show, Katie. This was such a great conversation. Thanks for having me. Thanks so much for joining today's episode on the free method podcast. If you enjoyed it, please leave us a five-star review that helps others discover this message of freedom. Share this with your friends and make sure you tag us on Instagram at free method nutrition. And if you're ready to start your own journey to freedom, I'd love to offer you a free call to chat with me about your health goals. Head to freemethodnutrition.com slash free call to schedule yours. We will see you in the next episode.